Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. This is your host, Scott Royal Smith. And today we are sitting down with the one and only credit expert. Thank you, Wayne, for coming on the show today. Very exciting to have you on here and to have the opportunity to pick your brain about what people need to do to improve their credit so they can get the best deals possible. Well, thanks for having me and let's get rocking. Excellent. Well, Wayne, one of the things that we look at here on the Real Estate Nerds podcast is we're really trying to nerd out and geek out on what are the best and most advanced ways that people can make you know, rapid improvements, rapid change. All of us here are pretty serious investors. And what we're looking for for you is, you know, what, what types of people really benefit from the work that you do and who is that ideal person for you to work with? Sure. Well, ultimately, the joke is anyone breathing from the age of 18 to 80 is always technically a possible client for us. Obviously, we know that your credit score uh, is extremely important. Credit is the cornerstone of the entire economy. Everyone knows credit's important, but what I always tell everyone is you don't realize how important it is until you need something today, and for a good chunk of Americans, then it's too late. Or let's just say for a higher level, you're getting, hey, this is a good interest rate, but if you only had a few more points, you would have gotten that much better of an interest rate. Absolutely. And so typically, are you working with people that have poor credit scores and want to get better, or people that are good, but they want to get great, or bulletproof from the people that are great? I almost want to say a combination of both. People might have uh, read a blog or two that I've done on real estate and investing in the past, and that's something that they've always wanted to get involved in. They just didn't really know what to do or where to go. And then, of course, the first thing that any bank is going to ask you is, what's your credit score? So if they've had challenges with they were an investor in the past and the mortgage meltdown hit, or they were involved in a divorce or a health challenge, things of like that nature that happened, they're trying to recover. Or you just have somebody that is just ready to take that next step. So I typically cover the gambit across the spectrum. Gotcha. And when people are looking at it saying that they have have a weak credit score, it needs to get better because that's going to impact the rates that they're going to be able to get for their investing. Now, what are the most common scenarios that you run into that have you know quick and easy fixes? Like what's the what's the low hanging fruit, so to speak? Yeah, sure. The easiest of the low-hanging fruit is, and I did an article on this that I can always forward to you. You can have it available to your readers, but I jokingly refer to it as how to get a fast 15 points. Okay. Yeah, fast. (laughs) Yeah. So what what the the investors or future investors even listening to this want to do is revolving credit, which is considered as a credit card, is one of the, the biggest, keyest indicators of your credit score. If you have a credit card that's maxed out, or let's just say you max it out every single month and then you pay it off, while you and I look at that as that's a good thing, the credit system, your credit score is actually considered, the technical term is a risk score. So they look at it as, well, what happens if you have a life situation and the card's maxed out? So using, or should I say low utilization of that credit card from a lender underwriting mortgage standpoint, you really want to keep the balance between 10 and 20%. 
as silly as it sounds, and I've seen thousands of these simulations over the 13 years I've been doing this, a zero credit card balance is not always the best. So you mean I've actually seen where people paying, I've actually, yeah, let's just say a regular credit card, you know, once again, you can pay it off all the time. Now, a credit score is like a thumbprint. Every thumbprint is different. If you're the type of customer that, or should I say individual that has credit cards and you've had a couple of credit cards, one for 10 years, one for 15 years, one for seven years, paying them off every single month, keeping a zero balance, not giving the bank a dime, nothing wrong with that. When you establish new credit, which is under five years old, and within the first two years, we kind of call it baby credit. You're a 35-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 47-year-old, and you've only got a credit card with two years worth of history. You need to be able to show the credit scoring model that you can use credit, but not overuse credit, thus making yourself look like a better risk. So in that Fast 15, the little bit of the summary is it's not if you paid your bill today. And let's say the card happened to be 70% maxed out because maybe you were doing a, a renovation and you paid it off tomorrow. You can't go pull your credit or have a future lender pull your credit a week from now because the odds are it's not going to report. The banks do not automatically tell the bureaus this is what he paid or she paid the credit card down to. So one of the things that your listeners can do is actually when you call up the credit card companies, find out, and sometimes you need to talk to a manager, hey, when do you report my account to the credit bureaus? If they report on the 15th, don't have someone pull your credit on the 16th or 17th. Give them a week because they're going to send the information over to the credit bureaus. Give the credit bureaus approximately a week to update. And once it's updated, then you can have that future lender pull credit because then you will have a real-time credit score. Most credit scores, when it's pulled, they're not real-time, especially if you've paid a bill and you're waiting for it to reflect that update. Oh, very cool. So the first piece of that, which you'd say is if you have long-time credit histories with fully paid off balances is okay. But if you have a short window mm-hmm. that you're trying to build your credit in, carry a balance of 10 to 20%, don't pay it off rather, right? Keep a, keep a running balance on it month after month at that 20%. Yeah, it, you know, there's, correct. One of the factors of the basics of your credit score is a 15%. We call it a seasoned borrower is a strong borrower. When I was auditing a class for Kaplan University for something they were going to do with credit, one of the instructors gave this lady information. The lady said, so I should keep a balance on my credit cards all the time? And she said, yes. Well, for some people, when I pulled her aside afterwards, the lady was probably about 65 years old, very well carried in the real estate industry. And it turned out that several of these credit cards were two, three, even four decades old. So, and I had to explain to her without actually, because I was um, auditing the class, I had to explain to her that the advice that was given was correct, only it's more for what we call newbies. But for someone with seasoned, excellent history like that, no, pay it off every single month. Don't worry about giving or paying any interest to the credit card companies. So yeah, like you said, if you've had the cards for a long, long time, you're absolutely fine keeping a zero balance. But when it comes to less history, If you've got a brand new credit card that's maybe a year or two years old, if you start carrying a small balance, something even as simple as $50 to $100. What I always tell everyone is there are a lot of people that don't want to give money to the banks. You know, some people are just dead set against that. And what I just want to do is... I mean, it's an investment. That's exactly right right on the money. Because what I tell everyone is let's turn your blinders a different way and let me say that, okay, well, if you paid $30 a year on interest... 
is a $30 a year worth the investment in your credit score to get you the highest level of, or should I say the lowest rates and the highest level of a credit score possible. Once you turn their viewpoint a little bit, like you said, now it's looked at as an investment, not that just the banks are taking money from me that I won't give it to them. Cool. That's awesome, for, especially for anybody just turned 18, right? It's like, Whatever your first oh, yeah. two years are, well, you know, get those really low balances. Especially and if, if you're, yeah, and if you're in school, there's credit cards specifically for students. That's what a lot of people don't realize. And they'll give you just $500 to start. And that's always great because even if they get into some trouble, it's not earth shattering money. But of course, the worst thing you can do and what credit repair companies or credit management companies, whatever terminology they want to say that they do, you can't fix a late payment that's accurate. Yeah. So I have to turn people away all the time that just say, well, I want to hire you because I want to get rid of these three late payments on my credit report. And when I find out, well, were they late? Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, my attitude has always been for the last decade and changes. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you like the answer or not. Doesn't mean I can't help, but I believe in being direct and upfront. Awesome. And what about people that are looking at, that are in that, you know, 650 to 700 range that are trying to get into the higher 700s to get a paper for their, you know, the best credit for their, their mortgages and loans and whatnot for their real estate? Are there, what are the low hanging fruit pieces that those people can be taken advantage of? Well, one of the things, obviously, like I tell everyone, a credit report's like a thumbprint. So it's hard to give generic advice in that. But what I can tell you is think of your credit report like a stack of cards. The messier it is, the lower the credit score. If somebody comes to me that's got a 450 credit score, it's easier for me to get them to a 600, which is obviously 150 points, than somebody who's a 680 to a 700. Because the higher your score, the less messier those cards are. And I try to explain to someone, the less you're giving me to work with. Now, if you're a 650 credit score, odds are if you don't have any credit cards that are maxed out, you may have a few older accounts, negative accounts that may be four, six years old. So it's really hard to say. What I can tell you is most of the time, you can still have a 700 score and have negative information, but most of that negative information has to be at least five to possibly six years old. So there's a lot of obvious reasons. That, you know, once you get up that high yes. in scores, it's like, yeah, I really just need to keep paying off your cards every month and then just keep the bad shit off of your record and then be like, all right, we just got to give it enough time and it'll go up. Sometimes, yeah. And there are sometimes a few little tricks that you can pull. The older an account gets, the less and less it's going to affect your credit because especially for real estate, most lenders are looking at how you paid your bills the last two years. Now, don't get me wrong, all seven years count, but how you paid in the last two are going to be most prevalent. So as those accounts get older and older, and if you do have good revolving credit, a little mixture of an installment account like a car loan or something or more real estate, then that is going to help you because it's showing every day that you're charging, you're paying on time the following month and then charging and utilizing your credit again. You know, giving a, hey, here's the risk I am as of today. I charge something, I pay it. And then those hiccups you've had in the past, they're getting older and older with each month. Now, every state, and I always tell everyone about this, every state carries their own statute of limitations. Now, what I mean by that is not how long the negative stuff can stay on your credit report, how long you could be sued. Okay, so Texas, California, those are some of the, most of the states are typically four years. So four years from delinquency, whether it's a car repossession, a credit card, a medical bill, or even a repossession of a house, a foreclosure. 
that lender has got four years where they could typically sue you. I'm dealing with a client right now in Wyoming, and I had to do some research because I don't really talk to people in Wyoming very often. Ten years they could be sued, which blew my mind. Louisiana is another one that's 10 years. So it doesn't even have to be on your credit and a lender could literally sue you. And if they sue you, they get a judgment. That judgment could be $200. No bank is going to loan you money because you have a judgment because the terminology is a judgment slash public record supersedes the first lien position of a bank. So even if I got it off someone's credit report, it's still going to cause us a problem so that means we have to address the situation, not just get it removed. Excellent. How hard is that, the process of getting those pieces even off of people's records? Is that really the most important uh, piece of what you do if it's still going to be considered? Well, from a real estate perspective, it's going to be an issue. There's been some new laws that kicked in about, let's say, medical debt and some public records. So as of September of 2017, it took effect that any medical bill, and God knows the medical industry is a business, and their billing department is by far the worst I've ever seen ever, where I can't tell you how many times people contact me, and this might actually be for some of your listeners, you might have good income, pay your bills on time, but if a doctor doesn't send you the bill, you don't know what to pay a bill. (laughs) It's just that simple, and then what happens is their software is set up where after 120 days of non-payment, It automatically goes to the collection company and the collection company posts it on your credit. Now it damages your score. The higher you up on the credit score mountain, the easier the fall. I've seen a TXU and electricity bill for $150 drop someone 120 points. Wow. So, I mean, that would sound so. And the same thing with medical. aggressively fight. I mean, whether it's a medical bill or a TXU or like if somebody makes an error in that, is there the, what my, what piques my interest on that is my litigation background. As about like, oh, well, there's probably a lot of procedural things that I would be able to do to help fight something like that if it were to pop up. Right. And that's where and you may be able to be more of a service to any of your clients because what will happen is, and just like anything in life, it's going to be the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Ultimately, if the company says, well, yeah, it's our policy not to delete, well, then you have to look for an exception. Now, if they sent you a bill and you just messed up, or forgot about it, or the post office person delivered it to the neighbor of yours that you don't like, and they just ripped up the bill. They technically complied. They sent it to the known address, but a lot of times there's little hiccups. They didn't have the address correct. They didn't have a phone number to contact. That's where you can take those extra steps. But most of the time, these collection companies, they don't care. Their job is to collect money. They don't care about any sort of ramification or how this is going to affect your financial well-being because you're using that score to help enhance your wealth portfolio. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not. So a lot of times... This is where I always say, you got to gear up. You just got yourself into a fight and you got to learn what are the the weapons that we can use during a fight when a fight comes up. And that's either going to be something that I don't think a lot of people are really familiar with how many weapons they can actually use, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are actually pretty subservient. The fact that, oh, I got the collections came against me and it's like, no, actually, there's a whole war chest you got here that you should be using if something like that comes up. It's, it's the classic, you don't know what you don't know. And most people, like there was a subcommittee hearing report with the credit bureaus, and I'll give you the 10-second version. Capital One manager said to the credit bureaus, and this actually happened in 05, hey, when somebody disputes something, how do you want me to do the investigation? And they said, well, we want your records to match ours. She said, okay, well, that's great, but how do you want me to conduct this investigation? We just want your records to match ours. 
pretty sure that sounds like code for we don't really care. We just want to be able to set this up and have everything match so we can ignore the, co- the consumer. So that's kind of the system that you're dealing with. Hmm. So it's a matter of, like you said, gearing up for a fight like you, me. We've got the background pretty much where I don't usually have problems that I hear from customers because I'm overly aggressive when this happens. I know that if I let something slip between the system, I know that this is going to be a future problem. And most people don't realize that until it's too late. That's awesome. So that's when somebody would have to make a decision on either saying, I, I always tell people that there's nothing that, you know, probably Wayne do, does or that I do as an attorney that you can't learn how to do from yourself. The question is, is, do you want to spend all the time to learn it and then how to implement it correctly? Right. And, and I think that's where it makes sense to start hiring professionals to, to help us is when there's a big learning curve procedurally, what needs to be done as well as a technical expertise, you know, that area of something that you don't need to do time and time again. Right. So, that's what yeah. I would recommend for everybody to say that's when it reached out to a professional. And, and if people are looking at professionals to help them because they have something that come up with us, like a BS thing that happens on there for our collections or, or whatnot. You know, how can people weed out the people that do good service in this field versus people that are more scammy and, and not doing you know, good work at it? You know, what should they be looking for? One of the things that I will always tell somebody, and I've had this a few times before, is if they don't ask you questions, Given, I mean, and sometimes you can have some scam artists with the silver tongue that asks you all the questions in the world. You could call me up personally the way I operate and say, hey, Wayne, I want to hire you. That's great. And I'd love for you to hire me. That's kind of why I do what I do. But I need to know what you're trying to accomplish and what your goals are because you can want what you want all day long. If your file doesn't present the ability to do that, then... All I can do is tell you, here's what can be done. But in order to get what you need, this is the full picture for you. And credit, it's a service. And what I tell everyone is there's technically nothing you can't do yourself that we can't do for you. But the trick is we can click a button. We can send a letter just like you can. But if you don't know what the response is and how the inner workings of that system is, you're set up for failure. It's trying to fix your own plumbing and then screwing it up so bad that when you hire a professional, they have to charge you more to fix what you messed up. They can represent themselves in court, but if they don't know all the intricate procedures, then they're going to cause more harm than good. And sometimes you may want to be stubborn enough to want to do it yourself. Other times you just got to make sure that, hey, if I do this myself and I don't do it correctly, did I just mess everything up for myself? That's really what they have to take a first gauge look at for themselves is what do they want to do? Do I want to invest all the time, learn everything that needs to be done and all the procedures or just bring a professional that do, does this stuff all the time? So I'm going to go through a gamut of questions for people on that sort of a subject. I've had some people tell me because the credit repair salesperson on the phone said, oh, well, this is what we charge. And yeah, we can totally help you. When do you want to get started? So I always tell everyone, when you have that sort of a problem from a credit score perspective, whether it's one thing or 10, take the emotion out of it. If you were in a room and your friend has the bad credit, they got you on speaker, you're listening to this person talking, how comfortable do you feel? Do you feel like they're trying to be your friend? Are they genuinely asking you questions? Are they just trying to say certain things? Are they listening and then trying to get past their script into when do you want to sign up? I'll give everyone a full breakdown on everything and then tell them to give it some thought, crunch their numbers, and get back to me in a day or two with what they want to do. I don't do that car salesman sales pitch. 
Is it like more like you so need that, to have that's what the guys to give like a breakdown? Here's like a scope of what needs to be accomplished. Like here's how many hours we think it's going to take. And then we bill so much per hour of work that we do. Is that typically how people evaluate the type of offering that they would get? Or, or how, does a, how does a formalized offering even happen? That's a good offering versus a bad offering. Sure. I've seen companies that charge as little as 500. I've seen companies charge as much as three, $4,000. So it doesn't mean the $4,000 person is any better than the $500 person. But at the end of the day, you're going to get what you pay for. You always want to kind of do some review and some looking up on customers. I mean, on, let's say, look at their reviews, see where their reviews came from. I had a gentleman that wanted to hire me and and said, oh, man, you got some really good, excellent reviews, but you don't have a ton. I mean, I have a company that we do these bots, and they can give you tons of verified reviews. And I kind of looked at him like, yeah, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I like to earn my reviews. So I appreciate the thought. Thanks anyway, but no, and so on and so forth. But you want to just be able to take a look. And the way we operate is we have a sliding scale. We're not going to overcharge, but we're not going to undercharge. We're going to look at the amount of work involved in your particular report. That's why I said a credit report's like a thumbprint. And then at that point, we're going to say, well, based on what we've seen in the past, and more importantly, the type of accounts, because there's going to be some companies that are just more stubborn than the others just because they're big. And they're like one of the top three, so they don't care about one little person. So it's always a battle. And that's just what like we tell everyone, look, this is what has to be done. And there's times that I'll tell everyone, here's what we can, I know that we can get removed, but this is going to cause you a problem for this or this. So we may need to settle this account to prevent a myriad of different things. So, you know, once again, it's always hard to give specifics on something without actually seeing the exact problem. So yeah, that wasn't too long winded. No, no, for sure, right? I mean, it sounds like you have to look at. It sounds like what your process is is to sit down with them, go through the credit report, detail out here's what we think we need to do for each of these different issues, and then I quote them. You know, a, a price for take, wrapping up those issues is almost like a flat fee, as that would typically correct. Expect. Okay, and then yeah, and then we'll break up the payments to help somebody. I mean, just yesterday sure. we had a customer that they wanted to buy a house. There was one or two problems that were being an issue. Well, they called me up and said, okay, well, we don't want to buy a house anymore, but we want to do is buy livestock. And that kind of completely threw me off. And I said, okay, well, as strange as it sounds, I have a contact with that. But because they're not looking at buying a home any longer, they're looking at a different underwriting criteria in gold. I can now change my method of attack because when I look at a credit report, I don't look at it just from a credit score perspective, but I look at it from the underwriting perspective. Was I an underwriter in a former life? No. Have I been doing this long enough to I know what is going to be a red flag and what is not? Yes. Awesome. And in terms of looking at what somebody would do, is that something that they can, any of the listeners can reach out for you to say, you know, here's my credit report. I'm looking to improve it. Can we get a consultation on what that would look like and what pricing would look like and what I can expect in terms of results? Is that a fair way to interact and would, would charge for that typically or how does that work? Well, typically what I'll do is I always look at a credit report absolutely for free. I never charge for that. If I look at the file and I say, hey, there's really nothing can be done except nothing that I can do, you could just do yourself. I'm going to give you some free advice and just ask you to keep, you know, keep my name on your tongue in case anyone ever mentions a credit challenge. I'm one of those big believers in karma. What goes around comes around and life has an, enough of a way to throw obstacles in our path. So if I have a lot of people out there and 
out there saying, well, listen, I talked to a credit guy one time. He actually said, I don't need to hire him. And what company is actually going to actually do something like that? Most people, especially if they have what I call credit repair scar tissue, they've tried or talked to someone in the past, got a bad feeling. Maybe they got taken advantage of whatever the situation may be. To me personally, that would sound like the person I'd at least want to have a conversation with. Yeah. Someone that gave some free advice that could have charged, but didn't charge. Yeah. No, I think it makes sense, right? I mean, especially if you're just trying to get a handle on what your credit score is and how you, what steps you could be doing to move forward. I'm a big believer in paying experts small sums of money to get great information, right? I find that almost every, all experts are willing to do that. And then usually there's a bigger chunk of money that comes with saying like, well, now I actually need you to go turn that crank to go make that happen. Right. So I always advocate for people to use and abuse attorneys and CPAs like that that you can get some free advice. Mm-hmm. It's likely going to be garbage most of the time from attorneys and CPAs. But if you pay them a little bit of money, <laughs> they're going to give you really good advice, but they're not actually going to do anything for that small amount of money, right? To get them to actually do anything is going to be another piece. And so I was wondering... Right. That, I would that, probably say I'm in the middle. I'm on the middle. Like if I see that, hey, there is a fair amount of things that can be done. Hey, here's, here's our consultation fee and charge, what we would do. And then... Included in that is another 15-minute follow-up conversation with us if you want to call us four months from now, three months from now to ensure that everything we did is working. Was there a little hiccup that happened? That sort of thing. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I, mean, I think these things are fundamental for everybody looking to do real estate investing or anything that's a credit-based types of investing. You, know, you got to be guarding your credit score like a hawk. And if you can just... I would mm-hmm. say for everybody to get somebody on your team that really understands that so you can have people... You have somebody to go to. If somebody says, hey, we're going to threaten to put this to collections, you don't just automatically think like, oh, I got to pay it because they, they made a right. threat, right? I mean, people are making threats all the time. And if you don't know the resources that are available to you to fight against those threats, you're going to be taken advantage of. And that's because that's litigation, that's credit, that's just everything in the world that has to do with lawsuits and with these credit reporting companies is all information-based negotiation, right? In a high-level speak. So. Mm-hmm. Thank well, you. then here's something. And oh, oh, yeah, never mind. I was going to tell you just a quick 10 yeah, second yeah, story. There's actually collectors out there that are getting their hands on 10, 15, even 20 year old debt and trying to get people to pay it and threaten. Just everyone just needs to know if it's over seven years old, it can't be posted on your credit, depending on your state. Most states, four to five years after that, you can't be sued. If they're threatening you, there's a reason for threatening you, which means it's a scam. Fantastic. So that's all I have to say. Scammy, <laughs> you know, if you're seeing the scam radar come up and they're trying to incite fear in you, then you know it's going to be baloney, right? Exactly. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome, Wayne. Thanks so much for coming on to the show, the Real Estate Nerds podcast with us today. And this is a little break from our best deal, worst, or bad beats and best deal episodes. But it's really the foundations for what we all need to be thinking up to make sure that. Our credit's going to be protected moving forward or if we need to improve it to be able to get the deals we want. So I wanted to take the time to talk with you today and, and thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you, sir. And Wayne, and where can everybody get a hold of you if uh, they want to reach out to you for some? Uh, you can, sure, my website and don't make fun of it. it everyone, my nickname is Wayne the Credit Guy. So the, the website is www.waynethecreditguy.com and you can reach me at wayne at waynethecreditguy.com via email. Awesome. Yeah, everybody, reach out to Wayne. Get yourself much free information you can. And I would say look at if it starts to make sense, throw a little bit of money at getting a plan in place 
to see if that's the, the right move for you. I'm a big believer in small chunks of money to get great information from qualified professionals. Uh, Wayne's been doing this a long time. So if it's a concern for you at all, it's worth about an hour or so of your time to at least look into it. Check it off that to-do list. So thanks, Wayne. And everybody, keep up with us via our social media, our YouTube channel, our website, royallegalsolutions.com. And until next time. That's all for this Best Deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.